The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 6. And it is with uh, great personal pleasure and I think uh, a good thing for our church that we meet here together tonight on such a special occasion that we are here to have a ceremony of ordination for Brother Jorge Enriquez as we ordain him into the diaconate of the church. Now, we had originally set aside tonight also that we would honor Brother Larry Jefferson uh, who has been on our had been on our deacon board for many many years and also had been chairman of our deacons but he is in the hospital and not able to be here so we'll just uh, put that aside for another night we'll give him just a, a special recognition then as we want to uh, give him a, a title of deacon emeritus and I'll explain that to you when that time comes and then before I go further tonight, I also wish that we could have someone else here. Well, one would be Brian Petro. He's sick and not able to be with us. But I was thinking um, about Brother Jorge, and I wish there was one other person that could be here, and that's Brother Jim Love. It's because of, I think Jorge would be in agreement, that it was because of Brother Jim Love and his persistence when Jorge showed no interest in becoming a Christian, but Brother Jim Love stuck with it and kept witnessing to him and witnessed to his family. And we have Brother Jorge, his wife, and his children that are here in our church tonight. And that just shows you how important that it is to share your faith with people. You know, sometimes you think, well, if this person would just receive the Lord, that if, just, just if he would be plucked as a brand from the fire, that would be good enough. But you never know what God's going to do with the person that you witness to. That person could turn out to be a pastor of a church, could turn out to be a, a deacon in the church, a Sunday school teacher, just many, many things that God can do and will do with people that we witness to. We want, we want to make that a, a priority in our lives. And, we're, and we plan to do that. And I hope you're planning on doing that right now, and you are doing it, making a priority in your life that people will know about Christ. Now, I'd like you to notice in Acts chapter 6, if you found that passage of Scripture, that here we find the selection of the first deacons in the church. And uh, tonight's message is, you know, it's going to contain a lot of things, a lot of talk about deacons and, and uh, what deacons do and all those kinds of things. So it, it's going to cover a lot, of, a lot of territory here this evening. We're going to try to go a little bit quickly with it. But we don't have a lot of information in the Bible about deacons. We have this passage here in Acts chapter 6. And then Paul gives us another section in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we just look here in these couple of passages of Scripture and we find out uh, what the Bible has to say about deacons. So if you look in Acts chapter 6 beginning in verse number 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, our purpose this evening is the ceremony of ordination. Uh, Brother Jorge is already a member of our diaconate. Uh, The election of the church actually serves as the ordination. So what we do tonight is not actually to ordain him, but this is where we give him the charge for the office. And, And the comments that I have to make tonight will be somewhat specifically for him, but also for all of the deacons and for you as well, so that we understand exactly why we have deacons and what we're doing here tonight. Now let me start with the background for this office. So on your outline tonight, you have the institution of the office. Uh, The first mention of deacons in the church is in this passage, although you don't actually see in your English translation there the word deacon. But if you look at um, the end of verse number one and you see the word ministration, that's the word diaconia. And serve at the end of verse number two, that's the word diaconio. And those are the two words from which we get our word deacon. So the word deacon is actually a transliteration of the Greek. Uh, and so you don't actually see it in the passage, but the words are there in the original language. Also in First Timothy 3, verse number 10, we have the phrase office of the deacon. And that's one of the same words that we see here in Acts chapter 6, which is dia, diaconio. So this is not an arbitrary church office that we've just decided that we would have. Uh, We didn't just invent this, but the apostles directed the church to do this. They gave directions to the church, and the office grew out of the legitimate needs that the church had for these men. Now, the church was growing very rapidly. The Holy Spirit was working mightily in that first church. Uh, The church grew from 120 members that we find in Acts 2 to where there were actually thousands of people that were in the church. You read uh, the previous chapters uh, before we get to chapter 6 and you learn that thousands of people were being saved. And with that rapid growth of the church, there were problems. Quick growth brings a lot of problems and so the apostles said, choose out these men in order to help to offset the problems. So why did they need deacons? Well, first of all, they, the people needed help. Uh, the scripture says in verse number one, there rose a murmuring among the people. If you know much about the Bible, you know that murmuring is a very serious issue. You go back to the Old Testament and you find the children of Israel murmured against God and Moses had to deal with the people murmuring, the discontent among them. And whenever you have discontent, it's always best to get it stopped. And so the people in Acts chapter 6, the Bible says that they were murmuring and the reason was that some of them thought that they were being neglected, that they weren't being treated fairly in the distribution of the food. Particularly, this is about the widows of the church, that some of them thought they weren't being treated fairly as the food was being distributed. Now you wonder, well, what's that all about? Well, if you remember, uh, this church had agreed that they would bring all of their money together, they would pool it together, they would sell their property, the people would all have all things in common, and what they expected was that everybody would be treated fairly when the distribution came, that everybody would get the same as everybody else. 
But it appears that some of them thought they weren't being treated fairly. There were widows that were uh, Jewish in, in ancestry and heritage and they thought, or rather, uh, they were being treated one way. And then there were other Jews that were Grecian in ancestry. They were Hellenist. And so they thought that they weren't being fairly, they weren't get, uh, treated fairly, they weren't getting the fair shake. So the reason that the first deacons were chosen was because of that problem of inequity among the people. Oh, we don't have that same kind of problem in our church, not specifically. But the principle is established here that deacons minister to the needs of the people. The word deacon in the simplest form means servant. A deacon is a servant of the people. Now, what we've tried to do in our church is that we've tried to institute a deacon care system. Uh, Several years ago, we did this, and uh, what we did is we gave each of the deacons uh, a list of people, members in the church that they were to look after to, to take care of problems that they might have. Now, if you didn't know that, you should know it because your deacon should have told you that, and I suspect that sometime he has, and you may have forgotten it. But your deacon is there to help you uh, when you have a problem. He's there to deal with that. And I do hope that all of our deacons are determined that what they will do is renew their interest in that care ministry. See, the last thing that a church needs is disgruntled members. We, we don't need unhappy people. And, and these people in the Jerusalem church, they had enough problems on the outside. There was persecution. They had the economic pressures, the depression that they had. They had brought, as I said, all their money together. I mean, it was a bad, bleak outlook as far as the world was concerned. So they didn't need pressure on the inside when they had so much from the outside. And same thing is true in Berean Baptist Church. We do not need disgruntled members. We don't need problems on the inside. And so what people should do, if there is a problem, that you try to work those things out, that you see your deacon, that you talk to them. Don't, don't spread a lot of uh, dissatisfaction around to the rest of the church. That's bad for all of us. And the deacons are there to try to help you get through those things. But the deacons were also chosen for another purpose, and that was because the pastors needed help. See, the church at Jerusalem actually had 12 pastors, all of the apostles, served as pastors of the Jerusalem church. Now, later on, it appears that James became the senior pastor. That's James, the brother of the Lord. But notice what the scripture says about their need. If you look at verses two and, uh, verse 2 and verse 4, it says in verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, if I could put that to you simply, there weren't enough hours in the day to deal with with all of the individual problems of all of these thousands of people. I mean, what the pastors wanted to do, the apostles wanted to do, was to feed the people spiritually. Uh, They didn't have time to do all the other things that that, that needed to be done. Their primary job was, was to deal with the preaching of the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and praying for the people. And that's still the job of the pastor. Perhaps you don't really understand how much time that it takes to put these messages together. Uh, Forty minutes standing behind this pulpit is most often the product of about 15 hours of work. 
just to deliver you 40 minutes of sermon. You do that three times a week, and that shows you how much time is left over. And besides that, you've got the administration of the church, and you've got uh, the preaching, uh, not just the preparation, but the preaching of the Word. That has to be done too. Done too. So it's a time-consuming thing. Moses ran into this with the children of Israel, that there were too many people and too many problems. So he got a little bit of advice from his father-in-law Jethro. Jethro said, Moses, what you need to do is you need to appoint some men over some of these affairs to help you to take care of this, and you don't spend all of your time trying to judge the people. So the apostles recognized they couldn't spend adequate time studying. They didn't have time for the preaching. They didn't have time for the praying unless they had some help. And so the deacons were there, were chosen to also help the pastors, to care for the needs of the people, to shoulder some of that burden. And that's why we have the deacons here. That's why I just mentioned that deacon care system. It's to help shoulder some of the needs of the people, take that off of the, off of the pastor's shoulders. But there's something you need to remember about deacons, and I hope all of you do. They're men. They have families. They have jobs. And they're busy too, just like you are. But what they've agreed to do is to go above and beyond and spend extra time in order to help you. And you ought to appreciate your deacons for doing that. And so deacons are invaluable to the pastor, especially when they take on these responsibilities of handling the needs of the people. So the office was needful. The people had needs, the pastors had needs, and that's the reason we have the institution of the office. Now, the second thing that I'd like for us to look tonight uh, and speak to Jorge about and all of you about is the relations in the office. What about the relations? Well, the deacons have to have the proper spiritual relations. First and foremost, there must be a relation to the Savior. If you look in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The apostle said, look out among you. So that means that they were choosing men out of the company of the church, men that had received the word of God, men that had followed the Lord, men that had been baptized, men that had repented of their sins, men that were obedient to what God wanted them to do. They knew the Savior and they were saved. Well, that seems so obvious, doesn't it? We're not going to choose a man that's unsaved. But how do you know they're saved? How do you find that out? Well, the only way that you can find out if a person's saved is that they act like it. They showed it. There are so many saved people that do not act like they know the Lord. And so the apostle said, you need to look out among yourselves seven men of honest report, men that are full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. And there is no way that they could know whether those men were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom unless they acted like it. So I remind our deacons about this, that people are watching you. You're up front and you're visible in everything that you do. And so you have to set an example. You must act like you are saved. Remember that wherever you are, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that's for deacons. No, that's for you too. That's why everybody's included in this, why we're all here tonight. That's for you too. You act like you know the Lord Jesus Christ because you are his ambassadors. Paul said that. You are his ambassadors. And you're ambassadors for the Berean Baptist Church. 
And so that means you have to keep a good name. You must be honest. You must act like you know the Lord. Show that you have a relation with the Savior. Next, the deacon has to relate properly to the Spirit. Verse 3 says again, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We have a command in the Scripture that says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't be filled with yourself. You can't be filled with two things at the same time. You can't be filled with the Spirit and with self. Those things are mutually exclusive. Well, why would we mention this? Because pride is the snare of Satan. And sometimes when men are elected to positions in the church, they become filled with pride. You give somebody a little bit of authority and they start to be filled with pride. But the offices, pastor, deacon, this is never about us. This is not us. I was talking to a young man in my home just, just, a, just about a week or two ago. And he said to me as I was talking to him about uh, going to church and knowing the Lord and, and uh, we were talking about what each of us does and, and he, had, he was a salesman who came by to see me so I asked him to come in and we sat down and we were talking and, and in a moment he said well you must be a pretty prestigious person you must be proud of what you do and I said no I, I don't really try to act like somebody oh he said oh I understand then what you do is just a job then And I said, no, it's more than just a job. That's not what I mean. I mean, this is not about me. This is for the glory of the Lord. And that's what this office of deacon is about. It's about the glory of the Lord. So pride can't be an issue for the servants in the church. Now, you look at some of the gritty tasks that deacons are asked to do, and you think, well, pride can never be a problem. I mean, we see deacons out there cleaning up around the church and we see deacons that are in here picking up papers off the floor and and deacons are doing many different kinds of things. Say, well, pride can't be a problem with that. But the devil can work in mysterious ways. And when you have only two mandated spiritual, scriptural jobs, only two in the church, it's easy to get carried away with that and the devil can get to you. Now, here, here is something that I really appreciate about Jorge, because when I first talked to him about being a candidate for the office, when I first started talking to him about that, he was just stand back. And he said, I, you know, I'm not worthy of such a thing. Uh, you know, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if, if I can be what I need to be to be the kind of servant that I need to be. And it took a while for us talking that over for him to, to say, you know, I, I think the Lord's leading me. I, th- I think the Lord would have me to do this. Well, folks, it is so important to be filled with the Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled people cannot be prideful people. This job is not primarily for me, and this job is not primarily for them. It's not even primarily for the people, the first thing it was chosen for. It's primarily for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory. You know, it's one of the reasons I like started off with the songs that we did today, worshipful songs, giving God the glory. That's what it's all about. That's what the job is about. Now, notice verse 3 says, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And that's not speaking about intelligence, though it's good to be intelligent, of course. Uh, the Apostle Paul, though, taught the Corinthians on this issue. He said, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So what he's talking about here is spiritual wisdom. The man that's in the office of the deacon has to have spiritual wisdom. And, and wisdom is also gained with knowledge. Knowledge 
of the Word of God. You have to be men of the book. You've got to be men who read and study the Word of God. You have to learn from the Bible. Listen to the messages that are preached. Apply those messages. Ask questions. All of you need to be involved in that as well. Be people of the book and you'll gain wisdom from it. You'll gain the learning and God will give you wisdom with that. So you have to relate properly. The deacon must relate properly to the Savior and to the Spirit. Thirdly, he must relate in the right way to the shepherd. He must relate to the shepherd. Now, shepherd is the pastor. That's what the word pastor means. It means shepherd. So what is the relationship of the deacon to the shepherd? Well, I've already said that the first deacons were chosen to relieve the pastor, uh, to allow him to attend to prayer and to study the word. And in that first church, the deacons were very valuable to the shepherds. The first deacons worked closely with the apostles. And you know what they did? Their work actually enhanced the ministry of the apostles. That was their job, to enhance the ministry. Again, not for their glory, but that the work in general, the work of God could be done. So the ministry of the, of the deacon is not a detracting ministry. And there are many pastors that think that way. They're afraid of deacons because they're, they're the kind of men that like to rule over everything. They want to be lorded over everybody. And so they don't want to share any kind of duties. And so they just say, well, let's don't have deacons. But the deacon's office is not a, an office of competition. It's an office of cooperation with the pastor. Now, let me tell you how that relates to the spiritual example. What does it mean when... Uh, the deacons are chosen, and what kind of authority do they have in the church in relation to the pastor? Well, you need to know this, that deacons are not appointed to run the church. And maybe that's why a lot of pastors are afraid of it, because there are many times that deacons take over the leadership of the church. They run it. You don't want to be caught in that kind of situation. Deacons are not, and don't think like this as a member, Deacons are not the board of approval for the ministry of the church. There is no scriptural precedent for deacons to be rulers over the church. Now, the Bible calls the pastor the overseer. He's the episcopus. That's the bishop. He's the overseer. That's what bishop means. And so it's his job to oversee all of the functions of the church. And so our deacons understand the deacons and the pastor cooperate with one another. I, I rely on their wisdom. Most of the decisions that are made in the church are not unilateral decisions. I mean, I, I call on them. But here is the real outcome of all of this. The, the final say does not rest in the deacons. The final say is in the hands or in the authority of the pastor. So the office of the pastor is the one that God has set over the church. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so whether... I don't have a problem with them, but uh, should I, whether they like it or not, or whether they submit to it or not, the Scripture says, and all of you need to understand, that there is much authority placed in the office of the pastor. The deacons play a subordinate role. Now, here in our church, we call them the board of deacons. 
But that's just a, a term that we use. That doesn't mean that they have authority to run the church. The pastor, again, is the ultimate ruling authority. And it's the pastor, according to what the book of Hebrews says, is going to give an account for the conduct of the church, not the deacons. But then, having said that, a pastor that doesn't rely on the wise counsel of others who thinks that because he has the authority, he has to always exercise the authority, that's not a good leader. I mean, it's, it's wise to consider what these men have to say, and we choose good deacons and good godly men because they will give good godly counsel. And so I rely upon that, so I consider them to be my friends. Uh, their job is to see that the needs of the pastor are met. That's one of their things that they do. And when they do that, they ensure the well-being of the entire ministry of the church. So we're cooperating servants in the work of the Lord. The church is bigger than me. The church is bigger than them. The church is bigger than you. We're not enemies of the things of God, not enemies of each other, rather, but we are fellow servants of Jesus Christ. So you rely properly or relate properly to the Savior, to the Spirit, to the Shepherd, and then you must relate properly to the saints. I remember that's the first need. The people were needy. Now, sometimes people don't let you know when they're needy. So what do you do? Well, beacons have to keep their eyes open. They have to keep their ears open. Trouble is not usually hard to spot because people that have problems don't usually keep them quiet. You know, I talked about that a moment ago, the murmuring, but most people don't keep problems quiet. Lack of attendance at church, that is a sign of a church member that has a problem. And I and call on our deacons to renew their efforts to be watchful on church attendance. Watch people. Call them when they're not here. That indicates that they have a problem. And when your deacon calls you, if he does, don't be upset. Be upset because he does. The interest is your welfare, your spiritual welfare. If you're not here, then you're, you're not functioning as the kind of member of the body that you need to be. Now, I'm not talking about an occasional absence. I'm talking about people that, you know, are consistently missing the services of the church. That is a problem. There's a spiritual problem with people that do that. So I encourage you, as your deacon tries to assist you and works for you, pray for him. Remember again, he's human. He has problems too. Leadership is a huge target in the church for complaints. So uh, pray for them that they remain strong and committed to the ministry of the church. Now, finally, we, we've talked about the institution of the office, the relations of the office. Now, let's talk thirdly about the qualifications of the office. See, the scriptures don't allow us to choose just anybody to be a deacon. Verse 3 says, men of honest report. And there are a lot of considerations that go into that. Men of honest report. So I want to give you three types of qualifications that are needed. First, we have to consider the deacon's personal character. Now, we have further instruction on what the word means by honest report and what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So let's go there now. We're going to look at this scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8. And Paul has just finished discussing qualifications for the pastor. And then when he gives those qualifications, he moves on to the deacon's. Now, we notice what he says in the beginning in verse 8. 1 Timothy 3, verse number 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, 
not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now I'll call your attention there to the first word in verse number 8, which says, likewise. That begins the section, likewise. Likewise refers to what's been said before about the pastor. So in other words, a deacon has to have many of the same qualifications as the pastor, same characteristics as the pastor. So when you look for a deacon, think that someday he could be your pastor. The, the, the diaconate of the church was actually fertile ground for the choice of pastors for churches in years gone by. So what are his personal characteristics? Well, number one, he has to be serious about his duty. He must be grave. Grave means somber. It means committed. Actually, it means the same thing as honest in Acts 6, verse number 3. So the apostle said, choose men of honest report because they would be serious. They're, they're men that can be counted on. Now, you elected these men, and you elected Brother Jorge because you thought that he was a man that could be counted on. You have confidence in him. So here's a man serious about the duty. Number two, a deacon should speak truthfully. Paul says not double-tongued. A deacon is not somebody that speaks one way to one person and tells a different tale to another person. In fact, he's not to bear tales at all. A deacon's not to be a gossip, and that's important. Deacons go from house to house dealing with problems. And so you don't want your deacon speaking to somebody about something you told in confidence. So a deacon never is to betray a private trust. And sometimes that means men not telling your wives what you know, what's been told to you in confidence. So your wife, she's important to the ministry too, but church didn't elect your wife. So you have to be careful about what you say. Thirdly, he must stay sober. Now that seems maybe a little bit comical to us when we think about staying sober. But do you know this is a very serious matter? It was to the apostles because they were dealing with a society where there were people that were drunkards everywhere. I mean, people drank and, and uh, not, not good testimonies. Many Christian people were carrying that over. And so they dealt with this. And, and it says here in the text, not given to much wine. At verse 8, not given to much wine. And some people take that to mean, well, that means a little bit of wine is okay. But the likewise of verse 8 goes back to the pastor who is forbidden of drinking wine in verse number 3. Not given to much wine in verse number 8 is as much a prohibition as not given to wine in verse number 3. But you know, I'm, I'm really surprised at the excuses that Christians make about drinking alcohol. Now, I'm going to say this for the benefit of the entire church, not just the deacons. When you became a member of Brian Baptist Church, you agreed to this, that you would not drink alcohol. 
Here's what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. And you're saying, oh, well, he's talking about kings and princes. Let's listen to the connection. Listen to Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God, what? Kings and priests. And we shall reign upon the earth. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has made you a king and a priest. Now, it's far worse for a Christian to drink alcohol. A saved, born-again believer in Jesus Christ, it's far worse for that person to drink alcohol than it would be for a king of a secular country. The king or president of our country, it's far worse than that because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the deacon has to have that kind of a qualification. He shouldn't drink, but I'll say that goes for all members of Berean Baptist Church. And you... Men, I'll talk to the men especially right now, you need to maintain that because your church may need to call on you for something and you you need to have the kind of characteristics that just like the deacons have, that you're faithful to the Lord in this. Then a deacon, number four, should be scrupulous. Paul says, not greedy of filthy lucre. A deacon has to have principles. Uh, He has to be honest with money. Now, there's a reason why Paul brings that in here. Those first deacons were chosen over this very issue. What were they dealing with? Well, it wasn't just food, but it was the fact that all the money had been collected to buy that food. And so they had to use it like they were supposed to. So a deacon can't be greedy about money. And this is what our deacons do in this church. They function as a finance committee. And so they have to be honest with the Lord's money. And I purposely said the Lord's money because it is his. And folks, he carries a much bigger stick than you do. So we want to be careful about the Lord's money. A deacon ought to be a person who tithes. He ought to be a generous person. He ought to be honest with the Lord. Now, I preached this a few weeks ago. Tithe means 10%. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean 7%. doesn't mean 5%. It doesn't mean 3%. It means 10%. So a deacon needs to be a tither. All members of the church need to be tithers. And not only that, you need to be generous with God. You need to be givers as well. Tithe is your responsibility. Giving, you need to give, give an offering to the church. And when these men are faithful to the Lord about that, people see that and they follow also that faithfulness. So those are personal character qualifications. Deacon's got to be clean living, has to have a desire to be like Christ. And these men have started out that way, otherwise they wouldn't have been chosen. So we pray they'll stay that way. Second group of qualifications we find in 1 Timothy, the deacon's spiritual condition. Now, his character is essential, but so are spiritual qualifications. Verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So there Paul gives us some spiritual qualifications. Number one, he must be grounded in the gospel. And I'm going to expand that to say that the gospel in verse number 9 also means all of the faith, all that we believe, all the doctrine that we hold to. We're not just talking here about elementary aspects of the gospel. 
know if you remember that story I told you a few weeks ago. I don't know if it was on a Wednesday night or when it was, but I talked about the, the deacon that I met of a church and been deacon for many, many years, but he didn't know anything beyond just elementary parts of the gospel. But the faith of Jesus Christ is more than he died and that he was buried than he rose again. We have an entire statement of faith that's built upon the doctrines that we believe in the Bible. And our deacons need to be acquainted with that. And they need to be able to affirm those positions. They need to be able to uh, need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I think all of you need to know that. You'll be much better off if you understand the doctrines of the church and why we believe them and what the Bible has to say about them. And if you know them, you know that you're going to be in agreement with God. You know you're going to be in agreement with the church and you'll be in agreement with me. So a deacon has to be grounded in the gospel. Number two, he must be tested and tried. And let these also first be proved. Our deacons are proved to be faithful. Faithfulness and dependability. You know, my dad, when I was young, used to always say, he would would always teach people, our, our teachers and officers this, he'd always say, faithfulness and dependability, those are the greatest virtues of a Christian. Faithfulness and dependability. Be faithful to your church. Be here when we meet. Now, deacons, you don't want to call a church member and say, why weren't you there? And the church member say, why weren't you there? They might ask you the same question. Faithfulness in our attendance at church and then faithfulness in all things that God has given us to do. Number three, he must be clear in conscience. He must be blameless, above reproach. Accusations will be made against the men of God. And the thing is, do people automatically believe the worst about you instead of the best? Peter said, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. See, it doesn't matter who you are. When you decide that you're going to live for Jesus, you are going to suffer reproach. Didn't Jesus say that? That's expected. You try to live for him, you'll, be, you'll suffer reproach. You're going to be accused of things. Deacons are accused of things because of the position. And the important part is, of course, are they guilty? Now, a lot of people look at others and they say, well, you're guilty until you're proven innocent. But a deacon ought to be a man of such character and you ought to regard him that you consider when you hear an accusation against him, against the pastor, whatever, that you consider them to be innocent until they're proven guilty. Don't just take an accusation easily and say, well, that must be true. Now, the Bible tells us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So deacons, you need to watch your own heart and and don't give occasion for people to accuse you of things unjustly, or I should say justly rather, justly. Don't let them accuse you justly. Now, still one area of qualifications, uh, deacons' personal character, spiritual condition, thirdly, family connections. The Bible also talks about the deacons' family. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. Now, I have to get one thing out of the way right up front. This does not mean the deacon has to be married. Brother John, he doesn't have to go looking for a wife because he's a deacon. Uh, That doesn't mean a deacon has to be married. But it is telling us here that a deacon who is 
should be married to only one woman. Polygamy was a problem at that time, but I think it also means that a deacon ought not to be a divorced man. Now, that's things that are in the Christian's past, can be in a Christian's past, and that's, that's you know, that happens and that's the way it is. But for these offices, the Lord doesn't want, uh, says that, that well, that's not to be. We don't have deacons that are, have been divorced. But the deacon's wife then has to be a committed wife. That's one, a committed wife. Now, I said, I said a moment ago, we don't elect the wives of deacons, but you can be sure of this, that we consider the wives before we do choose a deacon. We consider their wives, and their wives need to be a shining example of Christianity because a wife can be a tremendous asset or a tremendous liability. So a deacon's wife has to have the same character as her husband. The Bible says she must be grave. She must be serious-minded. She has to guard her tongue. One slip of the tongue at the wrong time in the wrong place can cause irreparable damage. And so a deacon's wife has to watch that. She needs to be faithful in her attendance. She needs to be involved in the ministry of the church. And thank the Lord for this. Was there ever a, a, a lady in the church that was willing and to give of herself than Mina is? That is willing to just get into the work and do what's asked of her? Is there, is there a better example? I think we've chosen well. We serve by example. Number two, a controlled household. Ruling their children and their own houses well. How do you rule your family well? Well, unfortunately, there are some men who think that means being a dictator. Beat them into submission. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a a husband and a father that has earned the respect of his wife and his children. A lot is said about a man's character and the way that his wife and his children treat him and respect him. Paul's clear about that point when he mentions pastors. He says in verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? In other words, how, you're going to rule, uh, how, how you rule your house is actually a, a reflection of your management style. If you've got problems at home, you're not going to be able to handle the people in the house of God. How can you be a person of authority in the church if you can't keep authority in your own house? Strong churches are built on strong families. And deacons are to be the example. So those are the qualifications. Spiritual, they're personal, they're spiritual, they're familial. But I can't stop without mentioning the last statement that Paul makes in verse number 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. A good, faithful deacon gets a good degree. Now, the word degree there in the Greek is the word bathmos. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament is in this text. And it means that a deacon attains a higher standing. A deacon has an elevated position. So the office of the deacon is an elevated one. It's a position of honor. And what I mean by that, the people of God have actually honored the person by, by saying, you are somebody that we can trust. You're, you're somebody that we can look up to. You're somebody that is an example And so it's an honorable office, a position of honor. The word degree means they've attained a position of respectability. And so it is the duty of a deacon with the help of the Holy Spirit to use the office rightly and to keep it respectable. Well, I think Brother Jorge has come a long, long way since Jim Love gave him the gospel of Jesus Christ and he believed it. 
He's, he's had a, a, a long journey here of becoming a faithful servant of the Lord. And we're, we're privileged, I think, to have Brother Jorge Enriquez in the ranks of our diaconate of Brian Baptist Church. So we pray that he'll serve well. We pray that he'll honor the cause of Christ. And we pray that he'll be a long-time servant here among the people of Berean Baptist Church. Now, when the first deacons were ordained, it says in Acts 6, verse number 6, the last part of the verse, when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Part of the ceremony of ordination is the laying on of hands. Now, what we do with this is that we show our approval. We don't confer special powers on Jorge. So when we lay our hands on him, he's not going to suddenly leave here tonight being super saint because we, we can't confer anything upon him. What we're just doing with the laying on of hands is portraying for the whole church the confidence that we have in the man. It's an outward show of the approval of the ministry. And so the apostles laid their hands on those first deacons. That was an act of consecration. Now the other deacons... Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Brother Petro here tonight, but the, but the other deacons uh, represent the rest of the church. So we'll, we'll have them do the laying on of hands. If Brother Larry was here, we would have him to assist us in, his, in, his, in that as well. But uh, we'll have the other deacons to do this, and, and I'll participate in that as well. So Brother Jorge, I want to ask you to come here if you would, and, and if you would kneel. We're going to have the laying on of hands. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence, we are so thankful for this service that we have tonight. We're thankful for this faithful servant of God who has shown that he loves you, has shown that the Spirit of God rests upon him, who has been exemplary in his life as a Christian. We know that he witnesses for you. And Lord, we just thank you so much that you brought him to us and and now he's... Uh, through these, the time that he's been in our church, he's been faithful to learn from your word. And, and Lord, that we can have the confidence to uh, uh, give him, to confer upon him this office of deacon. We pray, Lord, you'd bless him, strengthen him, help him to be everything that you would have him to be. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray for every member of our church that they would cooperate, that they would help, that they would pray for this brother and all of the deacons as they carry on the ministry of Berean Baptist Church. We thank you for this, Lord, and we bless your holy name for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.